Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of four books on cycling, including Cycling Nutrition and Riding Happy While Riding Comfortable, another book uh, soon to come out. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Also writer of all things fitness-related and doer of pretty much all things fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host. I'm a kinesiologist and endurance cycling coach uh, from Collingwood, Ontario. I also obviously like to do lots of things. That's kinesiology. So we started this podcast, The Consummate Athlete, to explore people who do lots of activities really well, some really high performers in certain activities, and coaches and professionals and scientists that can help us sort of tweak out performance, learn faster, uh, just move better. So that's what we're here for, The Consummate Athlete Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Uh, So we are out in California right now. Uh, We talked last week a bunch in our Q&A episode about our uh, endeavors in Ironman training and how that's going this month. I'm excited to say I am a lot happier this week uh, as we record. I think I'm finally over the uh, initial shock to the system of adding a bunch of endurance. Did a 21.5 hour week, not counting walks, which we do a lot of. So I was very, very proud of myself, uh, and I'm feeling ridiculously awesome, actually. Yeah, and I've been ticking away at some bike training, and then also got wetsuit last week. I haven't really taken it out of the bag, but uh, we got that wetsuit, and then also a big thing for me was I needed new running shoes uh, for pavement and the marathon running the more distance. So got a set of Nike, I can't even recall what the type was, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but they're so far I'm pretty happy. I've had Nikes. That's what I did my marathon in a bunch of years ago. Uh, they seem to fit my feet. So these are pretty light ones. I had them recommended by a client. Uh, and so far so good. Really happy calf sort of discomfort and tension is greatly decreased on same or bigger runs. Molly and I did a, a brick on Sunday where we did some mountain biking and then did a sort of trailish run, mostly flat double track though. And yeah, not much soreness at all. So Pretty psyched on that. That's good. And Shoes then, make the man. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently sports massage makes the woman because Peter rubbed my legs yesterday and I only cried once during that. I didn't cry the whole week during the training, but the massage pretty much killed me. Uh, but I feel fantastic today, so... Thank you for that. I should also add, for those of you who are listening the first time, Peter's also married to me, not just like, I didn't just call a co-host over to like rub my legs. I mean, I'm, that's fairly within my scope of practice, although I can't technically practice on you. It was not practice. Violation of certain codes, but. um, Everything's great. On that note. (laughs) So I don't know if that makes that a sensual massage or what that makes, because it can't, it's not allowed to be a professional massage. Well, it was. It was lovely, whatever it was. Anyway, uh, today's guest is actually sort of a bit of a throwback for Peter. It's his former, I don't, how would you describe your relationship with Steve? It's, it's hard. I mean, Steve was my first and really my only official coach. I mean, I've had a lot of consultations and testing and stuff with different professionals over the years. Um, but yeah, I worked with Steve as an athlete, um, sort of in the, I guess, the height of my mountain bike racing. Um, most serious I took it I guess and then uh, also I've consulted with him over many years but also Steve was sort of my mentor as far as coaching you know I went to university but as far as practical knowledge for bicycles and bicycle training 
Um, Steve was definitely a big part of that. I would say I learned more from Steve, uh, certainly related to bike racing and sort of, I guess, physiology or coaching, certainly the business of coaching and the, the art of coaching from Steve. Um, and I would say there's a number of athletes in Canada, if not beyond, and then also a lot of coaches who have either come from being athletes of Steve's or coaches who have worked, you know, whether under Steve or apprenticed or um, worked at, you know, Hardwood Hills or whatever, learned from Steve or stolen stuff from Steve in some cases, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, he's just a, a really, really smart man. Um, he's done a, a fair bit of stuff in both cycling and then also some strength training. He's had a couple gyms now. He's on his second brick and mortar. So we talk about that today. But honestly, it's just a conversation with Steve and I catching up. I had a great time. We we're over an hour. I think this might be our longest one ever. But I think I think I hope that everyone else will find it really useful. We cover a bunch of different areas from strength training to, um, I guess, time crunched. We can't say that because it's trademarked. But, you know, the real person, how are they training and sort of Steve's experiences with that, how they're addressing that in his gym, um, which is sort of a mix of a cycle studio gym, uh, but very like high end, I guess. I don't know what you'd call that. Mm-hmm. Boutique. I don't know if Steve would use the word boutique. Ooh, but I like the word boutique. high end, um, you know. You get very high-end service, I guess, very personalized service at, at Steve's. It's called the Cycling Gym. It's in Toronto. Um, so, yeah, we talk about owning brick and mortar, some of the business stuff they're doing. We talk about Steve's history. We talk about some very practical stuff you can use in your own training. Um, we cover. We didn't cover – I think we covered a third of what I had sort of put forth as possible places we'd go. So love to have Steve back. So if you do enjoy this and you have you know questions that maybe you think Steve – and I missed or sort of brushed over, you know, I'd love to have Steve back next month and, and chat with him. So, um, by all means throw, you know, go visit consummateathlete.com. We have a, a form there. You can fill it with a question. Um, and we'd love to have that come in. So um, let's, uh, let's dive into it. Yeah. So again, hopefully you enjoy this talk with Steve Neal. Um, yeah, so I, I did, I did, you know, actually make some notes in the questions and, uh, cause you're right. I'm not great at talking about myself, but, um, so I guess currently is the cycling gym project, which is in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, just in case people listen to this elsewhere, which they probably will. Uh, Andrew Randall, who's an ex pro cyclist is my business partner and we are 50, 50 in this, um, <clears throat> We are in about year, I guess, two and a half-ish. Um, we are sort of in Leslieville, which is eastern Toronto. The build, the, you know, our, our building is about 3,700 square feet. It's pretty much split down the middle, uh, half, half cycling. So we have 13 combi trainers and a couple of sets of rollers. And then the other side um, really looks like a CrossFit gym. It's you know, squat racks and pull-up bars and rings and rubber bands and rowers and a variety of things, um, which, you know, kind of, which we'll probably co- cover in some of your other questions is like, what are we doing? So that, that's, the, that's the quick thing. It's a strength and cycling-based um, indoor facility in Toronto. And uh, yeah, almost coming up three years. Okay. And it's, it's a different uh, environment because a lo- there's a lot of spin studios and that sort of stuff, but you guys are doing, like, people are on their actual bikes in the in the cycling gym? Yeah, I mean, the yeah, spinning's huge uh, in any big city, really. Um, there are, you know, there are other 
people doing the same thing we are. They've been in business for a long time. There's like Mindset Cycling and WhatsApp are two that have been in business for an awfully long time doing, you know, on the on your own bike, indoor training, you know, four to seven days a week. Uh, I think where I think where we differ is, um, yeah, we, we use Compu Trainers and Perf Pro and a variety of other things. We, we differ with uh, the addition of strength training, which is really how, you know, Andrew and I came about this project from different angles, I guess. Um, and, you know, people come to the gym generally, I'd say 80% of our clients come five days a week. And we've sort of built the programming around being an Ontario person, whether you're a triathlete or a mountain biker or, or whatever. The only thing that kind of gets a bit funky might be cyclocross because of when, when the season might be. But, you know, generally it's two days a week for strength and three days a week for cycling, um, which is programmed in a... I, I, I don't I don't love the word periodization, but it's programmed in an organized fashion to, you know, help people improve over the winter. Um, and we see like really good, you know, so far average monthly, average monthly or sort of every six weeks improvement is between like three and seven percent for everyone over two and a half years. So everyone always is getting better, which is kind of cool. Right. And that's the great part in that sort of more isolated indoor environment is you can see that and you can adjust on the fly. Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we when we first started, this is, uh, you know, I, we quickly realized what we were about to do was a paradigm shift. You know, I, I mean, I've been I've been working on this stuff kind of the way I do privately for uh, for a long time, 20 plus years, I guess. And you and I have sat down and had a, a many a conversation about training and ideas and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes they're they're not different to you and I, but they're different to. I don't know, the, the, high, the recreational rider that might do Ride to Conquer Cancer, the person who might go to 24-hour mountain bike is the person who belongs to a, a Toronto-based cycling club where they ride, you know, three or four days a week. But it's, you know, there's 90 people on these rides. So, of course, they become competitive. And so meeting all of these people uh, quickly realized that, holy, they're, they train really hard all the time. You know, we started giving them workouts and like, wow, this is really easy. And, you know, I used to spend an hour above threshold at my spin class. And so we we realized that it's just what what's normal to us is, wow, no one's ever even heard of trying to train this way to, you know, move up a group in the road ride or just finish your weekend ride feeling more fresh. So that was that was sort of an eye opener, I guess. Mm. Um, I- I'm going to just interrupt a bit. You, you brought yeah. up, you, you have been doing, I wasn't going to ask you how long you've been doing it, but you've been doing it for a long time. Um, yeah. And you've had a lot of different, you've been worked with a lot of different people over the years. Um, but I wonder, you know, it, it's useful sometimes just to hear a little bit how people got going. So I wonder, we've got an introduction to what you're doing now. And I think that's good. We are going to go more into that cycling gym and sort of that where you're at now is in terms of philosophy and stuff. But what I'm wondering is if we can go... A little deeper on, like, you started out, you were racing mountain bikes, this is like in the 90s, and and then where yeah. did you go from there? Like, you were racing pro mountain bikes. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, pro is a pretty big word, because that means you make money. So I was, I right. was racing, I was, ra- I was racing in elite, and I mean, I, you know, I, I'm really proud to say that I became 11th in Canada at Nationals one time, because that was a big deal for me, I, my background before that was like hockey and lacrosse. I took up cross-country skiing to try to get less fat. 
and I think to just get in shape, I needed a break or something different in my life. So, uh, so the, the riding thing turned into, I met, a um, and just keep interrupting when I interrupt me when you need to interrupt me. So I, I met a guy named uh, Paul Cobham who I used to race against and he was better than I was. And, um, but I just, I knew he only rode back and forth to work. Like his father owned a, like a transport truck kind of company and he worked for his dad and he rode basically an hour to work and an hour home and then he'd go to races and he was really fast and a good athlete and so he kind of took more of an interest in trying to improve i happened to have a friend who was a national i mean he, he was he came eighth in the worlds at uh in cross-country skiing uh in the 50k so i hung around with a couple of really fit individuals um I'm going to throw a little cool, it's awesome that Alex Harvey just did what he did. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that guy's name is Al Pilcher. He kind of got me into endurance uh, training, I guess. And um, I learned a lot from him because he was a world-class athlete. So I saw, like I saw how he ate. I saw how slow he trained most of the time. But then I also saw how fast he trained the other times. And just just from being around him for three to five years, I guess I learned a lot about how people train to get fast at that level. So Paul wanted to get faster and I offered to help him. And uh, so I'm trying to help a guy that's already better than me get better than me and uh, bought Joe Friel's book and used heart rate and kind of followed it to a T and just built a program right out of the book. And he became sort of top five or six in the country and he was racing right behind guys like kabush and at the time you know he was at the top but he wasn't winning let's say and so he he got up to that level i didn't know pilcher raced mountain bikes no 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 i'm talking no no pilcher no no i'm talking about paul cobb i'm the guy i coached i'm with you okay sorry al Al pilcher is the guy who i learned a lot from which got me interested in helping my friend paul right Sorry to be confusing. So Paul, uh, I was like, because I know the story, but I'm like, I don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> he, no, he did it. He did everything but mountain bikes because he couldn't ride one. Right. I remember, and he was the guy that roller skied like into the ditch and stuff. I remember. Was he not the roller <laughs> ski dude? Yeah. Oh yeah. He yeah he, yeah. So if we want if we have time again, we can tell funny <laughs> stories about Al. But so so no, I'm sorry. I'm referring to Al as someone who kind of helped me understand. I guess really world class training. I just didn't really know. It, it's all I knew. Right. And then Paul Cobham was a friend of mine who I helped get faster in mountain biking. He biking and he got up to sort of the elite level in Canada, Canada Cups. And then all of a sudden, one day in June, he's like, "I can't get out of bed." So I'm like, "Well, what do you mean you can't get out of bed?" He's like, "I just I can't. I haven't been able to get out of bed for a few days." So I, um, yeah, he was fried, right? So basically, he'd followed this program that. Um, seemingly was going okay and he he went from being pretty fast to really fast and then all of a sudden he couldn't get out of bed so I didn't know what to do Um, I heard from another person who I ended up eventually coaching but I heard there was this guy in Vancouver who was a a bit odd and doing really different things and was really scientific and one of his big things was recovering people um, if they were overtrained so um, so I kind of just, I, I really wanted to help my friend cause I put him in this hole and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And, uh, I called this guy, his name is Jörg Feldman and he runs and, you know, he still part of a company called Fact Canada, 
pretty sure he's predominantly working with Moxie now in the States, but Jurg just picked up the phone and he helped me and he, he uh, I told him what was wrong with Paul and he didn't even hesitate. And he's like, well, if you'll buy a lactate analyzer, I will just, I'll tell you what to do. So he didn't, didn't charge me any money for help. I just had to buy a lactate device and some strips and I got them couriered to me and we started taking Paul's resting lactate levels and then I would, you know, call Jurg at work and he would tell me what to do. And then three weeks later, Paul was unbelievable at national championships and, and for the rest of the season. And then he just went on and got a job, but he, you know, Jurg really did help me turn this guy around in such a short period of time with really, really, really slow training and really weird things like riding, ride your bike for 20 minutes a day, but do it at 90 beats a minute. And anyway, so it was, it was very, very different from anything I'd ever seen. And I found it interesting. And then someone else asked me to coach them because Paul kind of did pretty well. And, and, and so it went from there. And so Jurg Feldman was really, who got me started in, I think all of this. Okay, so from there then, you were sort of done with your racing by that point for the most part. I mean, you still are racing, obviously, but with your professional, and that's when you sort of were like, I'm going to go on to coaching? Like you had already yeah. done your school? Yeah, yeah. so I'd finished school, and I, uh, as a racer, I mean, uh, to, to me, it was like a hobby, and just really to get in shape, but I'm it got me interested in it. And, uh, I mean, I had, I had kids you know, fairly young, 24. So I did race one year. So we're talking, I didn't start this until I was 20 and a bit. And then I had my first child at 24 and I did race for one summer. Um, and then I realized like I'd be out trying to do a five hour ride and an hour and a half in, I miss, you know, my kid. So really, I, I just stopped because I wanted to be at home, and so I yeah I got I got a, a real job and I started coaching people. But no, I I just wanted to be with my kids. Fair enough. I think that's where a lot of people go. Um, so then from there, I know you, you know you sort of talked about you alluded to it I think with sort of the the level of programming you offer at the cycling gym, and I would say that certainly one of one of the many things I owe to you is. Um, you know, it's, you need people to commit to, to coaching and you need them. That certainly involves a money commitment, but it involves a time commitment. And, you know, I think we both, but again, from you, we expect people to be like athletes, right? As much as they can within their life, um, to really commit. So where did that come from? I mean, you're starting coaching, you've worked with some pretty high level athletes, but where did that, that sort of expectation that people commit and be, you know, you work with them very personal, you know, one-on-one -on -one and you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm verbalizing. Yeah, well, no, I, no, I, well, let me try to answer it and you can tell me if this is what you think you mean. So I think, I think what it is, is there's, um, not to talk, we could talk all day about philosophy. So I, I, in my first, I'd say 60% of my career, I really only did, one kind of training and I used racing to accomplish the rest of the training variability and it, it was extremely successful which is why I think I just kept rolling with it and then in the last sort of bunch of years I've tried to learn as much as I can about all different kinds of training 
So it doesn't really matter whether you're a sprint interval training believer or you're a don't go above 70% of your max heart rate believer. Um, you have to believe in something and you have to you have to be honest when you follow the program because if you work with somebody who is extremely knowledgeable about interval training, like someone like Dean Golich who you just mentioned, um, then you better not you better not go out and try to do four hours of tempo because you're not going to be able to follow Dean's program because you're not committed to his belief, and he's proven that his belief and philosophy will work. And then there are other people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum that believe that. A different kind of training can make people fast, and it does. But you need to commit to their level training, their type of training. If you start to kind of just do a little bit of everything, I guess I refer to it kind of like the men's health and fitness kind of program where you pick it up every month and you just change something because it's in the next magazine. But yet you haven't even stopped improving on what you did in the last magazine. Like you're actually just starting to get better at split squats because it was in the magazine, and now they change it and they change it to something that you're not great at and so you don't actually improve so i think con commitment also means consistency and believing in the person that you work with and uh, that generally comes from the personal side of the relationship if you get along with someone to a certain extent then you start to believe in them and then you can start to work through all these things that become a program which is things you alluded to later in your questions right like nutrition and weight and mm -hmm. out hours of time on the back so is that is that what you mean? Is that your question? Like, uh... I think so. I mean, you've never been swayed. I don't think by the you know the, you'll have certain person come along and start coaching, and you know they're they're not charging a lot, and that's never. It's probably bugged you as much as it bugs me, but it, it's never changed what you've done. You know, you still charge a premium, and you expect again that commitment, and you deliver on that commitment, but you know, you offer a premium service. And I remember one of our first conversations was that like, that's just, you just do it professionally. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I think that, you know, I think probably both you and I undercharge in the grand scheme of things, but I think we probably both way over deliver. And, um, yeah, I remember I, I, that, 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 that meeting you're talking about, you just, you just deserve more than you were charging. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a profession and other professionals come to us and they're, you know, I have, I have some people that are world leaders, the actual world leaders and the things that they have done, mm -hmm. things that they have changed, things that they have done. And so they, they, they have not, not only are they, they've been responsible for many other professionals underneath them to accomplish those goals and work with them in a team fashion. And they don't, they don't come to us to tell us how to make them faster on a bicycle. They come to us because we're a professional and we need to work with them in a way to try to make them better. Right. So does that, does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, 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 you're hitting, I guess what I'm talking about is like, you know, you're not out to the people who are looking for like a cheap, I guess, men's health uh, program. Uh, yeah. Right. Like that's, that's not the commitment, you know, they're not in it for the long haul. So no, I mean, it, see there's, there's this, a lot of that stuff is available. So, I mean, you can buy, you can get a training plan for free, and you can you can go ride with other people that are better than with you for free. And you know, I guess let's just take two minutes and talk about it's something that kind of is a pet peeve, but it's also it's reality. So, if you if you look at say 
and, and you know, Andrew's not here, but it, it bothers him more than I. But the rogue community is a, a lot of people riding together and, you know, the rides are really, really hard. And those rides only benefit the people that are leading them. And so if you have, let's say, a club and they have five levels of riding, A, B, C, D, and E, and you are always in the D group and you just always get dropped from the C group. So um, the, only re the only real way to move up through D, C, B, and you know, maybe get to the A group is to focus on your, like commit to yourself and commit to improving your fitness so that you can move up through the ranks in your club, which is no different than you committing to your fitness to move up in Ontario and then in Canada and so on and so forth. Um, and that's, so sometimes it's hard to realize that we need to have this mixture of fun. I want to go ride with my friends and I want to ride hard because it it's really feels awesome. But then I can't, I can't sit at home and say, well, geez, I wish I was in the B group because you might not get there always just riding in a group. You might need some help and you might need to focus on yourself. Right, right. And that's what, that's where we come in, I guess, because we can help. I think that's, that's a good point. And I certainly, a lot of clients are, are in that, you know, they're not necessarily, I think even more so now, you know, racing isn't, you know, O cups or whatever, aren't the, even the primary thing a lot of people are doing, right? It's, they want to go out with their friends and be fit, or they want to, like you say, a charity ride or something like that. Um, so if we just take that as sort of a side here for a second, then, you know, you're, you have someone who's doing weekly races or, you know, the crits or the donut ride or, you know, a big group ride, mm -hmm. then what would you, what would you sprinkle in there? Like, or what would you change if we had this sort of theoretical client and they were doing, you know, two, three days of group rides and suffer fests or whatever, what would you, what would you tweak there just in a general fashion to try and get someone to progress up to that B or A group? Well, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's pretty well known that you can only train hard two or three days a week. And if you, if you, especially if you start to analyze this kind of training and software, um, you know, we can, I don't know, it's somewhere in my notes, you asked me about TSS, so not to jump all over the place, but I'm going to jump way down there for a second. So yeah. if you look at Strava and you look at Stravistics now, which is a free thing in Strava, which I think is actually kind of cool because it has a TRIMS-based performance manager chart. So we're way down at the bottom of your list. Tell me if I get too going. No, too I much. can. I'll sort it all, Steve. So for sure, it's better right. to flow like that. Go for Just it. Just because, because I, I think that this, I think this is really how, how. Yes, this is how I would do it. So if you uh, take a look at that, that information in the software. Um, a lot of us look at what's, you know, a, a look at chronic training load and acute training load. So I'll let you put hat, like little things in here and send them out to the people where they, I, I want everyone who's worked on all this stuff to get a kudos. But the bottom line is there's a few things I find very interesting. Somebody, I can't remember his, his last, I can't remember his name, WKO4, but he created a performance manager chart. He's a mountain bike guy and he, it, it's something called chronic intensity load. You may have seen it, heard of it, maybe you use it. So basically... Every day's training ride has a certain intensity factor, 0 0.85, 0 0.9, and so on. Higher the number, the harder the intensity was of that ride. So what he does is he actually looks at the chronic buildup of the intensity factor of the rides. And it, takes, it, it paints a very different picture than a lot of other things that we look at. That's, that's one way I like to show someone that 
you know, their chronic intensity load is through the roof. And every time it gets to this place, they either take 10 days off cycling, which means they just missed four group rides or they get sick or they're really grumpy. And that if they pull one of those out a week and just go ride with a friend that's slower, then they may not miss so many group rides or get so sick. Right. Uh, so anyway, so I think that what I would sprinkle in is why well, I try to unsprinkle more than two really hard rides a week on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I'd say two hard workouts are okay as long as you can do what I would call absorbing it like a sponge. And uh, the rest of the riding should be pretty easy below 75% of your max heart rate. And I would always say go ride with as much time as you have freedom. Right. And it sounds pretty simple, but... I just find people go too hard too often. Well, simple is sometimes good. It's not easy to do, but the, the explanations are uh, often simple. Um, okay. So then when you have someone, like, I mean, the PMC charts, the uh, intensity factor, that sort of stuff, like, that makes sense. Um, with these same people often, um, you know, we're getting stressed from, you know, being out late with work obligations or kids at lacrosse mm-hmm. practice or whatever. So how have you found you know because that can be part of the equation with these people as well if they want to get faster sometimes it's like you know it's not even necessarily a riding thing it's more that it's a big it's a bigger part i think yeah Yeah. so have you found a way like i mean i've dabbled a bit with hrv as that's gotten easier to use than back in the day when we used spreadsheets and pulled actual data out of polar heart rate files but have you found anything that's sort of a, a good sort of way to help people I think even commit to it, but realize that there is a lot of stress and under recovery. Their, their sponge is not, it's very damp sponge. Yeah. It's always weeping on the counter. Yeah. Um, I think a big thing is just, you know, you can't, I mean, you can, I I have, it depends on the person. I have just told people like, fuck, just slow down. You're going to part. And there's one F bomb. I'll try to make it. It's okay. It's like some people, it's just like, you know what? You can look them in the eye and say, tell me you're not going hard all the time and tell me you're not always tired and tell me your legs don't hurt all the time. And then tell me that it's working for you and that you're actually getting faster. Right. And so some people you can just kind of call them on it and other people, this is where, this is what I've, this is a big thing I've learned at the gym and it touches on your nutrition stuff. And but so as far as, you know, the, what they do in training, it's like you almost have to just what we've done at the gym has made the training easier and easier and easier, but we've also made it like kind of longer and longer and longer. And so we've basically not tricked the people. People have been coming here for two over two years and they've seen the changes and the things that they used to think were long and boring because they were at, you know, a very low level of wattage and a very high heart rate. They now find challenging because their aerobic fitness is better. So they have, what they did was they decided to go to one place for five days a week for six months of the year and we only train them hard once or twice a week and they do strength and so they're never they're very rarely tired and they're always getting better then we offered last summer a free test won't get into specifically come to the gym and do a free test every month so a lot of people stop cycling in the gym in the summer but they continue their strength but we wanted them to understand that whatever they did in the real world actually made them worse. Because each November, people will come back to us 20, 30% worse than when they left the gym. So they were all surprised. We also offered like a free consult to everybody that wanted it last summer because we really wanted people to start to understand that there is a way to improve as we age 
if you just are a bit more careful. So we offered a few free services for people to come and test themselves so that they could say, wow, I, I am actually not moving up in my group and I feel tired on my bike all weekend and geez, my test number is down at the cycling gym. And then go back and do it again and a month later be, wow, I'm even worse than I was after the winter and I'm riding way more. How can I be less fit if I'm riding more? And I don't, we didn't really have to, they kind of learned that themselves. Uh, because they had the ability to come and just try something so yeah I think that's yeah so. I think that's good I think I like that how is it working for you you know in the gym often you, you know when you're doing sort of that first consult um, like it sounds like you guys are doing as well you'll be talking to someone and they'll want to they'll have some abstract goal like lose five pounds um, and you'll say, okay, well, why do you want to do that? And, you know, you try and suss out a why. And depending on, you know, in cycling clients, it's often easier. They do have sort of a why. They have a group ride or some actual performance goal. But then, you know, you'll ask them what they're doing and they'll be like, oh, you know, I do Sufferfest or something three times a week. And then I also do a group ride two times a week. And I go to the track every second evening as well. And you'll be like, whoa, how's that working? You know, are you, yeah. are you getting better? And they're like, well, I don't know if i'm getting better but i'm not still in that group but i'm really tired and you know i've been had to take all last month off because i have this sinus infection and overuse injury and oh okay well that's that seems to be working really good what if you didn't have to do all that and you could stay at home with your family on instead of going the track so it's funny let, I'll, I'll i'll try not to interrupt you much but i just you made me think of something i kind of i got off on a tangent forgot so yep. there's the so far we're talking about like performance and getting better in a group and moving up a group and so on and so forth. And I think the other thing I've learned by being exposed to so many people is that there are different reasons people ride a bicycle. Some people ride a bicycle to get better. Some people ride a bicycle for stress relief. Now you can question like, you know, how much stress do they need to relieve and, and why? And but, but the underlying factor for so many different personalities is that they don't always choose cycling for the reasons that we did and you know you know to t there could be there could be troubles at home actually so we're trying to convince them to train less to be at home but maybe they actually don't want to be fair there there there's just a whole bunch of reasons why they might be riding their bike and they might have like i know some people i cannot train when i'm in a bad mood like if i'm not if i'm not if i'm not happy then i can't get on my bicycle and then make it it doesn't make me feel better right Mm -hmm. Where, whereas there are a lot of people who, when they've had a bad day at work or whatever, they get on their bicycle. It's just like freedom. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're t we've talked a fair bit about performance because I think it's what we both sort of done most of the time. But you know, there's also this other part reason why people ride their bike and why people do go away for bike trips and stuff. It's it's uh, they might not want to get better. So I try to. I, I still think that they feel they feel better about themselves when they do have a better ride and when they feel less tired. So there's just a different way about showing them that maybe a little less might make them feel better. Mm -hmm. But it's the reason, you know, I guess my, my point is we, we, all, we also have to figure out why they're there. Mm -hmm. That why is important for sure. So Now, do you find, are you able to get those people to commit that, you know, a... Uh, hour or two hour spin in the park versus drilling themselves into the ground is, you know, as valuable and, you know, yeah, I think, um, 
I mean, yeah, people and people were starting to ride with. I, I mean, not we weren't trying to splinter groups, but I think, think things are pretty big. Some of these group rides have a hundred people in them, so they're actually like the Toronto streets are not that great, and they do start in the dark, and so there's potholes and flashing lights everywhere, and so some of them are actually kind of getting dangerous, right? Just because the roads are bad and there's lots of people. So other people have sort of started to just kind of ride on their own. And um, I think when people start riding a road bike late in life, they're usually competitive in their jobs. So it's just natural to sign up and try to go hard and keep up with your buddies. Um, But then there's also being able to ride for four hours in the country and go on gravel and pavement you know, just talk to the person you're riding with is, I think it's starting to come back. It's something that Andrew's working really hard to bring back is to, you know, it's okay to go ride at 170 to 200 watts for five hours and talk to each other the whole time and and then be able to talk during dinner and get up and do it the next day. So yeah. there's, there's, a, there's the social maybe ego-driven aspect to it, but there's also a social be out, no different than going golfing for four hours and talking the whole time and talking in the cart and talking on the green. And, you know, you can go ride your bike and do the same thing. Just Yeah, I think that that per- pervades, I guess, at all levels. Like I see even, you know, we're here in a house with a bunch of younger gentlemen training pretty hard. And, you know, it's it's such a relief when I get some of the, we'll call them older gentlemen here training. Because it's just like, you know, we're certainly the school i guess of thought that you built into a lot of the older guys in ontario like we're just so used to that go ride for five hours and be able to talk whereas now it's just like drilling it constantly and i'm just like i cannot do this guys like this does is not fun to me right and to me it was always you know that pace is just you know and like you say it gets you get fit enough that it's not a easy pace anymore but to me not being able to chat you know is I know, but you know, it's funny, uh, back when we were doing that, like, uh, if, if you talk to, it, it, it's funny, I, I, I ran into Ian Hughes from Quebec a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it was just a hilarious chat, like, he was like, because I was always, I didn't really, I knew Ian, and I didn't really know many of the other provincial coaches, and I was, I guess, just trying to work hard to do my best with all of you guys, right, so I just really didn't know, I, I just didn't know everybody else, so anyways, Ian was just like, you know, you guys, when when we were kind of part of the Ontario scene way back then, um, he's like, we couldn't catch any of your riders. And then we they actually took a look at a lot of their training volume and stuff in Quebec. And he's just like, we we just never rode our bikes enough. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, to hear someone who you were, I guess, te- you know, coaching against and trying to beat their riders, it sounds all whatever, aggressive and stuff, but it is what it is. Um, it was kind of nice to hear that he thought we were onto something, even though his mentors were telling them what we were doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and you're right. Like you know, one of your other questions, you know, um, you're everybody's still involved that I coached. Yeah, and I thought that would be a good place to go right now. It's just longevity and sport, you know, and that's whether we're keeping a masters athlete involved or not. Is there something you know? Certainly, and you know, there's a lot of people who are still involved and still riding their bikes, whether that's for fun or still even racing. Um, and can you attribute that to anything? Like, what do you think? Like, I don't know. Why, I, why am I still riding my bike and why do I still like it? I guess is what I'm asking. I don't know. I, I, 
I guess if you're if if I had any part in why you're still doing it now, I hope it's because you know there was a lot of fast people around us that you know that I worked with and it would have been pre- pretty easy to try to you know make everybody really fast really soon and maybe I would look like a better coach and I just always had this it, it came a little bit from when I was coached which we can talk about in a second but really with everyone I worked with I probably slightly undertrained everybody uh, we still had some pretty good results. Um, you know, there was maybe other issues why some of the people I was coaching weren't faster, which I don't even really want to talk about because I guess I was naive and found out 15 later that, right. that there was that there was issues. But um, I, I think everyone that um, that I worked with was clean and worked hard and tried hard and was honest. And you know. It, it, I think it would have been different if you were forced to do really hard things. Um, I don't think I ever made anybody do anything. I believed in certain things. I remember we'd always sit down and probably did the same thing with you and we did the same thing with people that you coach is okay, what are your goals? And then it's like they would have a certain goal and then you could show them a path that only I knew. I I mean there might have been 10 different paths to that to that place. I only knew one and so I would at least present them with an honest path that would probably take them to the best of their genetic ability. But along that path I never made them do anything. So then they might they might you know they might veer away from cycling for a month or two and they might not ride that much and then they might come back and then whenever they were ready um, they just they just if they, whenever they were ready, they just rode their bike more and they got faster. So I, I don't know. I think maybe it's because I didn't make anybody do anything, or at least I hope that. And I also never really, I don't believe I overtrained anybody. And um, and I think if we got close to that, I got nervous and I didn't want to be responsible for taking someone out of the sport. So we backed off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I... Yeah, so yeah, you know all the people. I don't know if uh, you can mention names. The bottom line is everyone's still really, really involved in the sport. And I don't know how many – I actually don't know how many other coaches from my sort of era actually coached as many people as I did. Mm-hmm. No, I think yeah, you're, your influence you're is there for sure. I'll certainly – there's a, a couple articles that do name names and stuff, so we'll certainly put those in. But um, – you know, to me, people like Jesse Giacome, who were like yeah. arguably, if you want to talk about a dirty era, like Jesse Giacome was yeah. probably the fastest person in Canada for a while there, um, and still yep. is, and still riding his bike and doing crazy things. He set the Colorado Trail record. Yeah, no, um, I just talked to him last week. Cracks me up. Yeah, no, and he's an awesome guy. So, yep. I mean, that's that's just one out of a bunch, and pretty much anyone from Ontario was influenced for sure. I think most even of the coaches still going would agree with that, that it's sort of transpired into coaches as well being influenced. So, um, yeah. And so to me, it's just like that idea of people staying in the sport is really intriguing. Um, so I'm wondering, why don't we talk about the idea of cross training? Cause I think, that's something that's changing as well that I see that a lot of the younger athletes now, when we came up, there wasn't the option to go south as early and as much and as in a supported fashion, which is pros mm-hmm. and cons. We all lament that, you know, we wish yeah. we had this, but we can also all fix flats and, 
you know, take care of ourselves on a six hour ride and, and that sort of stuff too. Um, and do a bunch of other sports. We talked about Jesse's climbing and skiing and everything else. Um, so I wonder how much of the cross training you think maybe is part of this longevity. Huh, I mean, uh, it's funny. I don't think, I think we did cross train some people more than others. Some people not at all. I think that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in it. I have had my own successes dabbling in it. Um, where I went is as far as to really not even really ride my bike much. And it was probably the fastest I was in 10 years. Um, I, I just, I think from a long, like if you talk about longevity and staying in the sport, not to jump around, but a lot of the masters that I see have a lot of, they have a lot of issues that, you know, it's almost like cycling's turning into the, this running thing. Cause running runners are just known to be always slightly injured, right? They don't have to be, but it just, they just kind of are. And so cycling is now coming around to that where people are accepting these little annoying little injuries. And I, I believe that, you know, strength and mobility and recovery and meditation and a whole bunch of other things can help, um, can help us just as much as another bike ride. And, uh, you know, so two quick things. One, a guy comes into the gym yesterday to pick up his new kit. He's been working with Andrew for a bunch of years. He's an, in his kind of 40s guy. Last year was, you know, gunning for a Grand Fondo with all of his 10 best buddies. And uh, these are all pretty driven people, so they, they don't know anything else but to work hard. And his knee started getting sore, and Andrew's like, well, are you doing this, and are you doing that? And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, he's like, it's, it's going to be okay. And so sure enough, he didn't even get to go to his Grand Fondo. So he, he had to take the summer off and then, you know, when he came back, he, you know, Andrew just said, we are starting here and if you want to ride your bike, then I'm not going to be part of it. So yesterday, picking up his kit, he's got a big smile on his face again and, and so we're like, what, what was it that you did that allowed you to get back on your bike pain free? And he's like, well, yoga, the stretching routine you sent me and I only ride my bicycle when I feel good. And now he's he's working with Andrew again and you know working towards another Grand Fondo and his numbers are all better. He's ride like he probably only rode 7 hours a week to begin with because he's busy. Now he rides half of that. And he does yoga and he does meditation and he does strength. And it's funny. He only has time to do those other things once a week and he rides maybe 3 days. And he's fitter than he was when he was doing eight hours of biking. So that's that's just a 24-hour old story, um, but but I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't think I remember Mike Garrigan. You know, his knee was bugging him. That's kind of right when I got into trying to understand bike fitting, and he disappeared to Florida, and and, and then he came back, and I I just. Not, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think many people I worked with actually were injured. No, no. Um, like Mike's knee comes into mind. And I mean, everyone yeah. has their growing pains and stuff of course. like that. But no, I mean, they're still so, in the sport, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, I, and I don't know. It's like, uh, and, and I think that, you know, had I known now <laughs> back then, it's, you know, I've learned a lot more about mobility and strength training and, 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 and many different things I'd say over the last six to eight years. 
And it's really important, like in your questions, for I believe for masters athletes because they sit. They, you know, we've known this for a long time, right? They sit so much, they drive so much, and then they pick a sport that's probably a worse position than their other two things, which you all know are bad, bad for normal humankind. So you take sitting and driving and then you scrunch it up even worse on a bicycle and, and do it in all of your spare time. It's like it's not going to be long before something hurts. So, No, I think that makes sense. And definitely this, the sort of non – people think that they're like one hour or eight hours a week or whatever is going to be enough. But we're – you know, again, those executives who are driving to work and then sitting all day, you know, that's – it's a lot of inactivity. And so – you know, they're having injuries probably more related to that than even their cycling, but the cycling's not helping. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I mean, today I did 15 minutes on my bike, and then I pulled a sandbag attached to a rope, and then I carried it back to the other end of the gym, and then I did 10 wall ball for five minutes, and I did that for two hours. So I just did 15 minutes of cycling and five minutes of something else. And it's funny, even, even every single time I get back on my bicycle, I feel better. Whereas if I just rode indoors for two hours, I'd be like, I'd feel like I was 90. Right. So, so just moving within a ride, which, you know, you've always believed in, get off and do lunge elbow, tin step, or do some pull-aparts, or do, do anything. Get off and do something. You just, your heart, my heart was still beating. Arguably, it was actually beating, you know, five beats higher, and my breathing was still the same. So I was still getting, you know, if you looked at my download, you probably wouldn't know I got off my bike. And, um, and I just felt better, and I think... You know, it's Andrew's kind of a, an interesting character because he raced pro until he was, I don't know, like 40, right? Mm-hmm. And two broken collarbones, he broke his leg, he hurt his back, like some, some injuries that sound like he came out of a car crash. And the more he does strength, like he actually has a reasonable posture now and he can put his hands over his head. Like he is, he is just like excited because he can put his hands over his head. He used to have trouble putting his jersey on every day he went to go to a race. Jeez, and that's not irregular in cycling, let alone the, like the, yeah. certainly the pro peloton for sure. Right, so he's an interesting character because you know, a lot of these sort of masters road guys, they have so much respect for him. Cause like, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a mountain bike thing, but I think it's more of a road thing where they just love to ride with pros who are fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people love to ride with you because of who you are, but no one ever wanted to ride with me because so maybe I, maybe I just don't appreciate it. But the road the road scene is uh, seems to be more in line with that kind of mentality, and so he just he's like, guys, yeah, 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 but you can't, you know, you got to be able to do this and you got to be able to do that because trust me, ten years from now you're gonna feel like shit. Right. So. I'm gonna put an advertisement out there that all the masters groups that are hiring dopers to come up to Ontario to do events could hire Andrew Randall, a professional road racer who can put his arms over his head to come out on their group rides and chat with them. Well, you should do that because like I said, I don't know. I, you probably, remember, I, I don't think we ever even talked about doping cause I didn't even understand it. No, I don't. I think we we're both, we we're like so ignorant and just like loving training and riding. Yeah. Like, which sounds I just, like, and funny thing is like, I, 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 I like so many of those people and, uh, and I say those and you know what I mean? And it is what it is. And I was never in that situation. So I'm not like, I mean, it's a funny thing to say, I'm not going to judge them, but you're right. It's like, um, they do care. They do get to carry on and be better than everyone else, even when they're done. And, uh, so if, you know, if people want to ride with someone who's legit and has you know and just you, that would be awesome 
Yeah, it's just my pet peeve. Like, how many awesome people are there that we Uh, could hire? Anyhow. um, Yeah, yeah. I I had this question, and this was on my sort of thing to ask you. So you mentioned your workout, and thank you. I've, like, put that in there as Steve's workout of the day here. Um, And I think that's that's neat. Do you remember what that's called when, like, that sort of mixing, like, it was something to do with, like, cardio shifting or something like that. Do you remember what that's called? you You mean the lactate shuttle. Is it lactate shuttle? I thought there was another name. I'll put lactate shuttle. But well, for now, I mean, I, I think what I and I mean, this is something that um, you know I know has been discussed scientifically, and I I just so when you use, let's say you do, I don't know, let's say you get off on your bike and you do a bunch of push-ups. Right. I remember and doing the, like six by ten tempos with yeah. ten or twenty burpees every ten minutes, and that was like right. the recovery. Yeah. Um, and that so what, was, it was good. Yeah. So what happens, at least what I believe would happen, in my opinion, as they say, um, is you create a bunch of lactate and all the other good things that float around with it. Not that it's bad. We all know that already. But so you create a bunch of uh, work in one area of body. And then when you start to move a different limb, so now you get on and pedal your bikes, your, your legs did not generate the lactate and the other things that float around with it. I'm being kind of big. Um, so, but, but they have to clear it. And so, especially as a mountain biker, if you have to go start up a really steep hill and then dive into some single track, what's in your legs is gonna go to a muscle that's working. So that, that's gonna be your lungs and your heart and a whole bunch of other things. Anything that's moving is gonna help clear that stuff out. And um, I always felt that you know the more efficient you could be at going back and forth helps, and then you also don't have to do all this really hard training with your legs that makes you tired all the time. Um, you know, So you can create 14 millimoles of lactate in your arms from doing push-ups and then get on your bike and clear it and maybe your legs think that's a good thing versus a bad thing by creating it all the time and maybe have a higher training load even you know a better stimulus too yeah i mean yes i mean uh, one thing i see about a lot of really efficient cyclists is they have this like lowering heart rate all the time and we see this in masters people like crazy and then you know you get them off and you get them to do move their whole body even just squatting holding five pounds and they see this near max heart rate and and breathing frequency um and i i i think there's a place for that like when you know if we just talk about science and energy systems and you know vo2 max is is one of them but it also it also that all that means your heart rate has to be high and so does your respiration but if your legs die out all the time because you're kind of semi-fried on your bicycle and you can't get above 85 percent of your max heart rate ever then how are you going to develop that system? Mm-hmm. Well, well, one and this was another like kind of like Andrew moment. He was uh, his after two years, his heart rate is coming back to what I'd I'd call safely normal. Like it was frighteningly low. Okay, and, I, I and know now, that. I know that world. You know, you know that world. So what happens is when he actually does other things now, and he he now has a heart rate on his bicycle again. Right. Um, so I think it's important, like for, not from the movement. There's a lot of great movement quality if you build a good circuit and so on and so forth. Um, but I think it's good for us in the long run. Yeah. You know what I've had? So two things that I'm going to bounce off of here. So I've gone to using basically high, low off, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, like Charlie Francis type stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so I've started just doing that and that 
I found sort of doing like a crazy hard interval day, which probably includes a strength training session separate. Um, and then a longer day, which could be four or five hours and still even maybe moderately hard on the low day. And then the off day, I just don't ride my bike and like, we'll still walk a ton for errands and like put in a lot of time, like maybe even two hours of walking Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then back at like intervals the next day. Um, so I've had really good luck with that. And I think like you say, like most of it's just motivation. Like I'm just so amped to ride because I had to take a day off on the third day that, you know, I'm happy and good going hard. Um, but then what I also started doing was even mid season, like even coming into goal races, I would start running on some of those high days because I could go to like blue mountain and do 10 minute or four minute hill intervals and just basically collapse forward, which on my bike I could, I'd have to be the best day of the year for me to actually collapse like cross-eyed and like breathing really hard. Yeah, I, I, I um, sorry, were you done? Because I think you were on day three. <laughs> no, I'm I'm done. But just I, I guess I'm bouncing. I, I have a question in there that somewhere. Not, but do you think that that's like you, you know? I guess do you think to, it's smart trainer? Is that sort of like what you would agree with, or would you tweak that? So here, uh, I, I I would agree with it so much. I'm just I'm I'm actually to uh, so maybe this is the first time we're gonna say it, and maybe we can start it somehow. But I I believe that there's a really uh, a place that okay we all we all we all ride bicycles because we like to ride bicycles right so then then what happens is if there if there if there comes this opportunity for us to get fitter and be better on our bicycle but it doesn't include our bicycle we sometimes have trouble with them like ah that's i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep riding my bike i'm good okay so I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the general public. If you try to say, there's this other opportunity here and I can't, you know, you're going to get better on your bike. I guarantee you, but they just, but what is it? Oh, well, you're going to come to the gym and, or we're going to go up this hill and we're going to run with poles and you're going to put a pack on, or you got to carry these rocks, right? They just, they're just not that most people are not going to buy it. And it it sure as heck isn't being studied, but, um, so yes, I, I believe in it. I think you're, doing something that's really smart. I am going to put a side note in that you're also, you've also been working hard on your mobility and your tissue quality, I would imagine, so that you're capable of doing whatever you want on a given day. Well, that's the title of our podcast, Steve, is The Consummate Athlete, so that you can right. jump into anything at a moment's right. notice. So, All right, but, but yes, but you're right. You can't but, knacker yourself running and then blow out your Achilles tendon because you're a 40-year-old man trying to run up a hill. Right. So all I, all I want to say is um, that I, I believe in exactly what you're saying. I think it has a huge place, uh, probably even in the elite world, but for sure in the world of the people that were probably are going to listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, however, getting to a point where you can be a consummate athlete is, is a lot of work and a big commitment. Right. But it's important, right? Well, and I think when we talk about those injuries and stuff, like it's all just circling back. Like, yes, today you're not going to go do three by 10 minutes up Blue Mountain on a steep slope and, you know, again, blow out your Achilles tendon. But, you know, is it worth that investment so that you get faster and more mobile and you don't have knee pain on your bicycle and back pain on your bicycle? 100%. Right? Like it doesn't always have to be VO2 max intervals on your feet just for the strictly for the point of performance but also working towards 
just mobility and health, right? No, I, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It's almost like a little. Uh, it was almost like a little waiver. Like, don't just go ahead and hey, Peter and Steve said go do five yeah. VO2 max intervals up at Blue Mountain. <laughs> I'm going to do because like, seriously, it's like men's health. They just read this yesterday. I'm going to go do it. Well, so, and you would run little... into that. I think you're probably even hesitant just with CrossFit, right? You know, you've been associated yep. with CrossFit, and yep. but people don't understand. Like, it's not that you're saying jump right in there and wall ball or you know put a big barbell on your back instantly that's not how you ever no. operated and no 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 no. but yeah and so it, it, here's so interestingly enough to get to where you are being able to run up a hill you can you can do lots of movements that won't even challenge much mobility but still do the respiration heart rate thing that we're talking about and benefit you on your bicycle and if you keep doing them then they will help your mobility and improve a whole bunch of really good things so, and what would you what would be like a good one to start with if someone was interested in more even the strength side of things? Um, like well, I mean, that. it's yeah, it's pretty. I mean, something so some of the simplest things like you could do hold a kettlebell in a goblet squat position and do ten squats at whatever your best range of motion is to have a good shape, and then you could do ten ring rows. And then you could jump on an airdyne if you happen to have one handy and do 30 seconds hard and then take 30 seconds off and you could do that for half an hour. Right. So, you know, pick four, pick, pick something, pick a, pick a squat movement, pick a pull movement, pick a piece of cardiovascular equipment that's not your bicycle and then just mix it up and, and do, you could do endurance. You don't have to go hard. You could just do endurance. You could also do tempo. You could do VO2 max. Um, so you just move faster or slower, but you could be moving your body through maybe a better range of motion and challenge your heart and your respiration and actually your mind pretty good um, in these other movements. Yeah, and that's definitely the piece. Like one of my best years going back was when we were at the boxing gym and like we were crossfitting all that winter. Um, mm-hmm. And again, within, you know, we were doing different strength training things. Yeah. But there was a lot of those just like slugging it out for a while. And, you know, maybe I ran to the gym or pole ran to the gym or rode to the gym. And so the days were long, but in the middle there, you're like, you're just flipping tires and, you know, moving, yeah. moving steady. And yeah, I remember just the mental toughness from just like one more flip of the tire, one more flip of the tire. And then, okay, now you're running home. And just, yeah. you know, it, it got to that point where then in a race, you were just like, okay. This is go, easy. You know, yeah, I have to go around this course seven times, but we're going to deal with this one right now and lift this tire and, you know, away yeah. you go. Yeah, and I think back then we didn't maybe, uh, or at least I didn't know about it. I just knew that when I did that stuff, I was like, wow, this is really hard. And I don't think we work. We don't, we don't, you know, you go help somebody build a deck and you got to carry cement all day and shovel. And then you're just, you got to go to bed at dinner. Like when was the last time you actually had to go to bed after dinner being a biker, right? I mean, it makes us tired and we train hard and stuff. And then you go do something different and you're like, you have to go to bed right away. And so the, the, the training was just, uh, for me, it was sort of a lifetime thing and it was something different and I was trying to fix my own injuries, but I found it interesting and I actually got in pretty good shape and I'd say the best shape, including on my bicycle in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the time you, you know, you're an elite rider and you know, you trusted me enough or found it interesting enough to try. And so it's interesting here so many years later that you found that you had a good year, you know? Yeah, I would say 2008, 2009, I always say is probably the best couple of years. Um, and, yeah. you know, it was pretty good. I don't know. It was, yeah. 
I don't know. Yes. I still wanted to ride at the end of the year. So, I mean, again, for me, the success almost comes more from are you having fun as, you know, that was the year I got 22nd at the World Ooh, Cup yeah. and yeah. Uh, beat Derek at Crank the Shield, which is yeah, my no. crown jewel. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I think... I guess this is my biggest, it's, it's, I'm not done yet, right? I'm still doing this and I'm close. And this is what I, 10 minutes ago, like maybe this is where I'm going to say it out loud first, but I just need to be brave enough to just put it out there and say, here's a program that I think that, you know, you could follow. And if you want, if, if, if whoever's willing to hang their bike up for three or four days a week, um, you might surprise yourself in the spring. You know, I, I'll probably do that here. Next winter, I'm going to have two different programs. And if you want to join me on the strength side and an aerodyne and don't touch your bike all winter, I am sure you're going to have the best summer of your life on a bicycle. So I'm, I'm going to do that next year finally. I'm going to have two avenues at the gym because I just believe in it so much. And um, I, I, it's funny. Anytime I introduce anybody to it, they don't get less fit on their bicycle and they seem to have a little bit more fun. Mm -hmm. and um yeah anyway okay i mean we're probably we're pushing an hour here it's all yeah. it's all gold so but i don't want to take up too much time do you have a little bit more how are you doing yeah I, I i you know what i'm good i half an hour whatever you need okay well i don't think we'll take that long but yeah, uh no we'll move her along here yep. um Okay, so Steve's put out a challenge then. If you're interested in you know getting fit in a different way and you know breaking through some plateaus, I think that's a good offer. So we'll certainly put all the cycling gym contact and stuff there, and you can get in touch with Steve, and he can let you know sort of what he's thinking. Um, I'm wondering here, Steve, you do a lot of testing. You've always been, you know, we alluded to that at the beginning. You know, the importance of testing, and you were doing lactate even in your first sort of forays into coaching. How do you deal with or get around? people being nervous you know you see that a lot of times with people they have like a performance anxiety around testing and numbers and so it's funny that, so what i'm about to say i think we'll talk we'll, uh some of it relates to what we just spoke about about the cross training and the mental toughness that you gain from it so that so i mean i the testing thing for me uh when i was working back in the day i, I people got I never really had too many people get anxious because I tested so much and I maybe didn't, I don't know, maybe you could correct me, but I didn't, I didn't put a huge emphasis on the results. Like if something got better, I don't think I jumped up and down and then said, ah, you're going to win worlds now. I just, it was just like a workout to me. And, um, hopefully it came across that way to you, but also you're, you're always testing a lot when you were tired. So anyway, that was back in the day and that's how I, so quickly, was it was like, am I even close or is that not how you felt? I, I think you're right. And I think we always understood that it was just to understand like where we were going to go next, I guess was, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, am was, I a good a person? Judgment. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Am I a good person? Or, you know, like you yeah. say, am I the CP20 champion of the world or the lactate right. champion of the world? It was just, you know, OK, this is a bit of info and Steve's going to make a more educated decision after. So what I've, I think I've learned this more in the last few years doing this is, and this is where the whole CrossFit thing sort of helps. So the mentality anyway, um, when I started to see it here, we do testing, we just do a traditional like MAP ramp test, uh, first part of the fact test, whatever you want to call it. 
but a three minute ramp gradually moving from a really easy pace up to sort of peak one minute power. And then we build um, the programming around that or heart rate or a combination of both. And there's a big component of respiration in our workouts at the gym. So what is your breathing frequency in different types of training and thread warrior? We use that a lot. So with the nervousness, um, I started, I started to really see that here more so than ever before. And to the point where a year ago we started calling them assessments, but it doesn't matter because when you put a picture up on the screen, the word assessment still is above the same jagged steps of step of stairs up to the, it, you know, it, it moves upwards, but they feel like it's taking them to hell. Right. So, so we changed the name of it and that didn't really work. And then I, I actually stopped, uh, stopped really, this is, this is only kind of fresh the last few months. So I don't know if you've kind of read anything about the 40% rule in the military or Markura, who works at the University of Kent. Have you been in reading any of this stuff? No. Okay, so the 40% rule, Markura, I can't spell it, M-A-R-C-O-R-A, I think, but if you Google University of Kent and video, you'll see him. He's a little bit of a chubby fellow, slightly chubbier than myself with a beard and um, accent, maybe Spanish and, um, anyway, he's a smart cookie and him and a, a bunch of other people, him especially was originally hired by the U S military to find out why people come to failure. So, you know, there's, there's central governor model and there's peripheral and then, and now there's this mental aspect of things. And so what they quickly, what they did was they had people do three maximal efforts of, I don't know, whatever, 15 seconds. And they had to ride at failure on a bicycle at 90% of VO2, which happened to be about 245 watts. So, you know, not, not totally untrained people, but not like superstars. And the average time to failure was, I don't know, 12 or 14 minutes. And then right after that, they were asked to do the sprints again. And only one, like 10% of the people could not repeat any work. 90% of the people could get within 30% of their original number. So they first looked at it and they're like, well, who do you want on your team? And then everybody's like, well, we want the nine people who were able to almost do it again. And they're like, no, no, no. We want this one guy who was dead because he absolutely destroyed himself in the first set of sprints. Hmm. So they've started to look at, I'm going to preface this with, okay, so this, what they've started to look at is you can look at the mind and inhibiting the pain tolerance of the mind, then performance goes up. And um, now that could be dangerous, right? Because it, it could become doping and it could be illegal and people could also get injured and just like dogs can run themselves to death. So let's not, let's not think that I mean take it that far, but the bottom line is some people can suffer way more than others. For sure. Like you would so, see, I always think about like a Raf Gagne is just like, he, you know, I was always, always just perplexed how deep some of those guys could go. And you yeah, know, like I can't make myself cramp, like short of just like not drinking for hours and super, super hot, like, and just going way too hard. Yeah. But like some of those guys can like on demand make themselves like, you know, I would say Garrigan's another one with his starts. Yeah. Like, I think it's just yeah. cause he can go so deep. Yeah. So it's impressive. And now they're studying it. Right. And the, so the 40% rule out of this comes that when people are actually at failure, they have 60% more capability left. Really? So what, yeah. So just go kind of start reading. It's quite interesting. So the, 
the um, and you know I, I just watched this thing on History Channel prior to kind of starting to read this and it was about this um, it was about people doing the Navy SEALs buds test 30 regular people so like after three hours more than 50% of the people had quit so on and so forth and it was legit one of the things they had to do what they did they forgot to throw out the garbage so they took them all outside and they started doing sit-ups and one of the military one of the guys who's a retired military guy still in really good shape and so on and so forth he did a thousand sit-ups in a row like counting them out like the, the thousandth one was the first one and the people that were down you know supposed to be joining him they were like you can just imagine how much they suffered. Yeah. He did a thousand sit-ups without stopping. He he probably did seventy percent more work than everyone else there. So I don't understand it. Like I've never been in a fight. I don't even like war. I don't understand politics, as you well know, all that stuff. But the I'm, I'm I've always been really intrigued with how do they do this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so now it's being studied, and so what we've started to do at the gym is have quizzes surprise remember in school you got a surprise quiz right remember those so now we have surprise quizzes so as an example we might do an hour and 50 minutes of endurance between 68 and 75 percent of your max heart rate and it'll be all the all i'd say 90 percent of our workouts here are on what i'd call variable terrain so we use our own gears and we ride there's not many fixed wattage intervals we want people to learn how to change gears and pace themselves and everyone's doing amazing at that now so um however then uh, you know you might have to do a five minute time trial and try to beat your map from two months ago or four weeks ago in a ramp test and, and I don't tell them until 10 seconds before they have to do it. And sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's one minute and sometimes it's whatever. And every – I've only done it four times. Every single time I ask someone to go beat their MAP, doesn't matter how tired they are, they can always do it. Right. So, so how much of that is that like anticipation beforehand and thinking – overthinking it? Totally. I mean, I, I once heard of some study where they put people in two separate rooms and there was shock therapy involved. And the one people got a shock on the exact same time duration, like every nine minutes, they got a shock. And in the other room, the shock that they were getting was much higher than the other people, but it was intermittent and, uh, you know, not on this regular schedule. And the anticipation in the group that was getting the lower shock and on the regular basis was much higher than in the room with a higher shock and on an irregular basis. Hmm. So anticipation is like they've even, you know, you probably know they've taken like an MAP test and done it reverse. So if you can get to 330 Watts, I'm going to start you at 360 Watts, but we're going to go down the steps and they always achieve a higher VO2 max. Really? Just from reversing the test. So they would achieve it though in the first few minutes of the test then? Yeah, you'd achieve it early. I've seen that with marathon pacing, like your perception of like, even if you do the exact same time, but you pace it actually the way opposite way you would think. So really hard, like you almost blow up and then like run, finish it off. It feels way easier and you're much happier about it. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. Well, I know. I mean, Tim, you know, how do I say this? I guess like um, so. You, most of the software and stuff in our industry is truly based off of hard work. We, you know, people want to work hard, so therefore we give them that, right? Which I think is what something you mentioned earlier that we maybe just didn't do. Um, anyway, so the webinars for WKO4, the more that 
Remember, we're talking about a power-only based world. Mm -hmm. So now the last few webinars have quite a bit of heart rate built into them. But the other thing that was really interesting in Tim Cusick's aerobic whatever seminar the two or three ago mm -hmm. was he's talking about building long intervals, right? Building tempo sets, three by 15, three by 20, two by 30, one by 45, you know, and so on. How do we, how do you build these? And then the question came up about recovery and he's like, well, physiologically science has not proven that there was recovery and that it actually does any benefit. But the reason we built in recovery is because people can't handle going long. Right. Yeah. I, I thought you were talking about the other one where he was talking about five days of tempo or something in the base building. And I sort of had a smile, which you probably <laughs> did as well, um, yeah. because of how crazy that is. Um, yeah. But but I remember doing nine by ten with one minute off only because it was really hard to get everyone to do. I yeah. mean, I can say this now. It was really hard to get everyone to do 90 minutes of tempo. But yeah. And so he was talking about the uh, what is that? like the extended FTP efforts now in WKO4, they're like usually like 33 or 40 minutes or something. And yeah. everyone's like, Oh, you divide that up. And he's like, no, you just do 33 minutes. Like that's, exactly. that's the point. It's threshold. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's hard to get people to do it. Like I've tried it with a few now, just cause there's that, those interval recommendations. I'm like, well, let's see what this is all about. It makes sense. Like yeah. this is how yeah. long your TTs are in your professional road racing. Why don't we practice this a little? Yeah, well, but it's funny. Now, now, now that it's on the internet, they'll listen to you easier now. Maybe, yeah. You go go watch this webinar. Yep. Huh. Okay. Um, now, you guys are open all summer. You said as well, so you're doing, but mostly strength stuff, or do you still do some bike workouts in the summer? No, we have. I'd say half. It's interesting. Half a dozen clients continued to come here Monday through Thursday. So two strength, two biking, and then they would ride outside in the weekend. Right. Just because it's tricky to be continuous in Toronto, so therefore that's why everyone got less fit because they actually couldn't go con do continuous work, stop signs, traffic, whatever. Right. Those people got better all summer. So that was the other kind of interesting thing from the gym. We don't like, I mean, yes, we're an indoor cycling facility. We really want you to go get fresh air if you happen, you know, but it's their choice, you know, obviously. And uh, but the people who did ride indoors more did hold on to their fitness greatly and came back in the fall fitter and still got to really enjoy lots of long rides with their friends on the weekends. So, uh, but yes, we're, we're open year round. Uh, we do have a, a, a lot of clients. So like 80% of the people just start riding outside with their groups and they, they come here to maintain their strength two days a week. Okay. And the other question I like to ask, and certainly you have given me a lot of books over the years, and you've mentioned a few here um, that have influenced you, but I'm wondering, is there a book or two um, that you find, like you, you've kept with you and, you know, you almost travel with it or, you know, you keep pulling out to refer to, like the book that sort of has defined or influenced Steve Neal? I, I still use Joe Friel's Mountain Bike Training Bible uh, a lot. I think that, you know, a lot of people could... I, I always found that no one ever read the whole thing. Okay, and then there's also some reading between the lines, but I, I still think it's a, a great book. Um, if I ha if I let's say I they are, they were no longer in existence, I haven't. Uh, and I think you're familiar with Run Faster from Five K to Marathon by Brad Hudson. Yep. That, I'd have to say that's sort of an equal one as far as like, you know, training and stuff goes. Um. 
the last lecture is a one that's still on my desk. Okay. And I uh, recently like Tools of Titans. I was never sort of into pod. Remember, you know, this is this is why we're. It's funny that we're doing a podcast because the reason you know that you went out on your own is because you were more than ready than I was. So it's funny that so Tools of Titans I find has been interesting mostly because I can't. I can't read really big books. It's a big book, but it's a whole bunch of little books, so I can get through it. Um, but it sure did. It sure did open my eyes, kind of like to certain things that I, I, I thought I knew about, heard of, but uh, I've I've really enjoyed that book. That's interesting because certainly I've been exposed to and I guess influenced by Tim Ferriss, as any twenty-year-old male in the two thousands probably was. Yeah. Um, but I've had a few people and of all different ages say they really liked that one. Um, and like you say, it might be that it's just taking some of those, I guess, tools and sort of, uh, explaining them in a, in a way that's easier to read, um, or a more practical, practical way. Yeah. I think it's because I think the book is going to have more than one thing for everybody. You may not, you may not get it out of every story, but, and then the other thing is, you know, some people that you and I know, like Brian McKenzie is in the book and doing something and, you know, like, uh, have you read it? I have not actually. I I was Uh, like, I'm, I'm done with Tim Ferriss for a while. And then of course that day, like four people send me that book. Yeah, I know. I hear you. It's so maybe I, I wasn't done with him because I never got into him. So to me, it's kind of interesting, and there's people I act, like. He, there's people I actually know in his book, which is kind of interesting, right? To know where Brian McKenzie started, and you know now he's doing something at some rich dude's house in California where they do like water aerobics with weights on, and then go sit in a hot sauna and they do it for two hours, and yeah. you know, like it's just different different stuff, right? Talk about cross training. Well, there's one for you. Yeah. Have you read? Uh, I just got it. I, I don't know if you know, but I'm doing an Ironman. Uh, the week after mountain bike nationals in July. Cool. Which uh, one? Uh, Ironman Canada and Whistler. Okay. So I have an interesting training dilemma, I guess, in terms of preparing both for nationals and an Ironman, but I'm excited for it and have pretty much learned to swim now. So awesome. So yeah, so that's been exciting. Just sort of like swimming has been crazy going from zero to like, actually like yesterday I did, I PB'd for my, I, I'm using one hour as sort of just my measuring stick and I did like 2,600 meters yesterday. Awesome. So still some work to do and I'm going to do a lot more, like I've done a bit of coaching. I was in to see Rich a little bit and I've done a yeah. few different things. We actually got to talk to the, uh, what is it called? Total immersion, like inventor guy, Terry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was neat too. So yeah. So anyhow, I got the Joe Friel. He just re- re- released his training bible for triathletes, and like it's completely redone and big portion on mental stuff. And um, I don't know. I think anyone, even if you're not in triathlon, it's pretty good. But some good drills for swimming in and out of the water, and strength training still in there, Joe Friel style. And yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, that's. Uh, so, what's your favorite book? Good question. Um, I do list that run faster still as well, because I remember that being the one, you know, we were into all our tempo and fact-based stuff and endurance, and that was sort of the first time I remember where we were like, hmm, like there's this other stuff we could sprinkle in there too. Like, what do you do with that other 20% of the time? And um, also because it was not cycling. I think that was when, you know, at least the book that stuck with me that um, was like, you can learn stuff from other sports, right? 
Oh yeah, like I mean, you know, the interesting thing about this, I keep talking about WKO4 only because I'm kind of putting myself through WKO4 University. Like I use three softwares, and like most people, mm, I'm I'm only working with like six people, but I'd say that five of the six use three different softwares, so their data goes to three different places, and then we look at it for different reasons. Right. Um, and the. But WKO4 is kind of neat. Like we just, you and I were just whatever back and forth setting this podcast up talking about like VAM and actually like, okay, well, what about, what about in a mountain bike stage race, the guy who has the same VAM but rips down the hill twice as fast, so he beats you by an hour. Right. So, you know, that's something that, you, that, that I think is interesting to be able to look at because you take, you know, okay, so you're climbing the same this year, but you went down Pilot Rock in Pisgah five percent faster because you were we never got to your modus cross question but because you're a better downhiller which is part of the sport so the software allows us it's kind of cool it allows you to look at those different things yeah it's neat tim actually i actually got to go to a course with him and uh i'm blanking kevin is the math guy yeah Um, and they were it was good like and honestly like i was having trouble like i was just like this is way too much computer programming like i don't know about this like I'm Mr. Just Movement and, you know, be happy. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know if I want to go back into the data side of it that deep. But yeah. we, we spent the weekend and it was it was good. Like, I'm on board. And because it's so open source too, right? Like, it's really cool that you can just go in and like, okay, here's a new graph that, you know, shows you this. And so you don't, the programming side of it's interesting, but I only have so much tolerance, although I want to get better. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, it's always, I guess it's just part of my brain. I mean, don't, I, there's so many other, there's a million other things, obviously, to, to doing this than just software. But, um, but it is, it is interesting. It's very cool to look at when you've, you know, worked with somebody for eight years to look at things changing. And, but I, I don't, I just, I just like it because it allows us to kind of, you know, find out something. It's basically whatever you, whatever you think you want to try to find, mm-hmm. you can, you can find some math whiz to create the equation for you. It's kind of cool. Yeah, really, really neat. And, like, we did a bunch of that of just theoretical, like, what do you look for? Like, and that's that's their thing with it, right? It's like, okay, you're, yeah. you're Steve Neal. You have, like, your three things. Like, when someone comes to you for coaching, what do you want to know? And they would just keep asking us that and trying to get you to think about your process. And they're like, like, this is all about workflow so that when you have that new client, you're not just reinventing the wheel. You can be like, okay, what's your descending VAM? What's your peak like what are the best five 20 minute efforts you've done in your life or in the last 90 days or whatever and you know you can put that all on a dashboard so yeah Yeah, exactly it's like you know yeah well yes you're correct (laughs) it's Um, it's awesome but a whole other conversation for sure um anything else steve i mean i think you're gonna have to be a recurring guest i think you were pretty good um hopefully people agree with me and um, so well, if we'll there's more, more questions for Steve Neal in the future, certainly throw that on. Steve, do you have anything else uh, to close off? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I've never done this before, so thanks for asking me. And You know I like to talk, but this is kind of cool because it feels like it's just me and you, and now a whole bunch of people are going to listen to it, I hope. So right. I, I'd love to come back and talk if you would because we didn't get to some stuff, and maybe we could um, – even expand on some of the ideas that I think both in you I probably believe in. So no, hope it goes well. I think that's awesome. You're you're a natural. I knew you'd be good. We've had enough talks over coffee that I knew it would be it would be good. So not right. not so long next time. Maybe I'll come visit you. Uh, we're back in April. So um, okay, cool. 
come for a tour or maybe we'll go for a ride or maybe we'll go for like some sort of run or something or pole run for old time's sake whatever you want to do all right man thank you so much we'll talk to you soon steve take care bye bye thanks so much for listening to the consummate athlete podcast we would love if you would head over to itunes and leave us a review and while you're there consider subscribing We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.